Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to the Inclusive Class Podcast. Through our interviews and discussions, it's our goal to explore the promise and practice of inclusive education. I'm Nicole Erdix, and I'm one of your hosts for the show. I'm a parent, inclusion teacher, and creator of the online resource, inclusiveclass.com. And joining me here on the Inclusive Class this morning is my co-host, Terry Morrow. Hi, Terry. Good morning, Nicole, and welcome to all our listeners. I am Terry Morrow. I'm the author of 50 Ways to Support Your Child's Special Education, and I write about special needs for about.com at specialchildren.about.com. I'd like to mention anybody out there listening to us live that we are not taking phone calls, despite what it might say on the Blog Talk Radio site. So if you are the person who is waiting now in our phone queue, I'm very sorry, but we're not going to talk to you. So um multitasking and talking to people other than the people I'm talking to on the radio is not something that I can do. So I apologize to those who would like to talk to us, but we are unfriendly. Um, It's been a pretty good week here uh, in uh, New Jersey. It's starting to get cold. Uh, Our heater went on for the first time this week and set off the smoke alarm. So I'm very happy to be able to be here this morning because we were having a workman come and look at the heater this morning from 7 to 9, and I was pretty sure they were going to come exactly when I was going to go on the air. So he mm-hmm. actually came early, so thank you to Bill at PSE&G for allowing me to be here talking to you all this morning. Uh, how has your week been, Nicole? Good, thank you. It's been pretty quiet in my house, so my kids have a break from all that testing that's been going on, and <laughs> the homework has been fairly light. I feel like it's been a test nearly every second day since the beginning of school. Between you know the state uh, tests that they hand out and then the district has their own common assessments that they have each school do every couple of weeks, it's crazy. <laughs> What are yes. my kids learning? They're learning how to take a test. That's all they're learning. <laughs> a useful skill. <laughs> Apparently so, because that's highly valued in this school system. <laughs> you know, we get phone so, calls about like five or six a day asking us multiple choice questions, you know, for various polls and surveys. So I guess that's what we're training kids to be able to do, to not that's hang right. up when somebody calls you and says, <laughs> press one for yes, press two for no. Would you please stay on the line at the end of this conversation for a quick five-minute survey? <laughs> <That's right. laughs> Our kids are going to, you know, they're going to be tops at that. I know. Uh, anyway, I yeah, so that's kind of been, that's been our week. It's been very low-key and quiet. And uh, so I've been catching up on some of uh, the latest special needs news and views on your website there, Terry, at specialchildren.adult.com. Hey. <laughs> Thank you. I didn't know if anybody ever looked at that page. Well, I do when I have time. <laughs> no, I was I was catching up on that story about um, the young lady in Montana who has autism and was recently crowned Miss Montana this past spring. Awesome. Did you read that story? It was a good story. I did. Very uplifting. Yeah, yeah, good good story. And obviously, the lady has a lot of support from her community and her family, and um, in accomplishing her goals. So I had time to sit down and read that this week and catch up. But uh, yay, Montana! Terry is yeah, I know. Really, what an inclusive state. <laughs> Are we keeping a list of all those states that offer inclusive uh, systems and communities? We need to be because, you know, we can add that one to our list. That's um, true. We should do that. And, uh, yeah, so anyway, it just made me think that, you know, as we often discuss that teachers uh, – 
communities and schools are such a key factor in the quality mm-hmm. of inclusive education that a child receives, but we often forget about that other adult in an inclusive classroom who yes. has just as much, if not more, influence over a child's success in school, and that is the paraeducator. And uh, as you were mentioning earlier, Terry, off the air, that is a subject near and dear to your heart and yes. mine as well. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think a lot of people in our audience, too, can you know, should be able to speak to uh, experiences with paraeducators as well because quite often you find that inclusive classrooms do have at least one or two in them. Yeah. And we have Megan Grove. They make a big difference for better or worse, yeah. Yes, for better or worse. <laughs> <laughs> and yet nobody well, talks I, about them, so we are today. I know, and I'm excited to hear more about uh, ways in which paraeducators can um, you know, communicate with children, teachers, classrooms. Anyway, I'll stop talking because I'll let our guests do the talking because she is a special <laughs> educator and inclusion specialist who does a lot of work with paraeducators. Good morning, Megan. How are you? Good morning. I'm doing great. I'm so excited to be here with you guys this morning. We're happy to have you, and you're uh, waking up early the same time I am, so thank you for doing that. <laughs> you're welcome. I have my coffee right next to me. <laughs> I took a good, shower and got dressed, so I'd be all ready to go. You're oh, all boy. set. Excellent. <laughs> well, 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 we'll let you get started and do the talking here. Can you give us a brief background about yourself and how you are involved with inclusive education and paraeducators? Certainly. Um, I'm, this is my fifth year as a special education teacher and an inclusion specialist. Um, I spent the first four years of my teaching career um, in secondary teaching 7th, 8th, and ninth graders. Um, And this year, after taking um, a year off to spend at home with my son, um, I've returned part-time to teaching, um, and I'm working with the little kids, so I have kindergarten, first grade, and second graders. Um, And my sort of path to um, becoming an inclusion teacher has included being a respite um, worker when I was in college, um, working with adults with disabilities in a group home, um, and then I had a brief stint as a paraeducator myself um, while I was in credentialing school. So I think um, having been in the trenches as a paraeducator for a brief period of time um, maybe also mm-hmm. makes paraeducators very near and dear to my heart. Exactly. It helps to know exactly how that person, you know, is experiencing that role and it gives you better insight into what, you know, they're they're experiencing and how they're feeling and how the job can be done appropriately. And, and that sort of leads me to my next question is, how would you define the role of a paraeducator working in an inclusive classroom? Well, I think in my experience, you know, um, I teach in California, um, and we have um, relatively high special education caseloads. And when you're working as an inclusion teacher and you have, you're supporting 14 to 28 students, um, you know, paraeducators are critical um, to inclusive education, and they really act as a bridge, I think. You know, they're connecting mm-hmm. students to accessing the curriculum in class and accessing peers. Um, and they're a bridge for the adults. They're a bridge for the general education teacher and the special education teacher to know what's happening, um, whether what's happening in the IEP or what's happening with the general education curriculum. And they're a great bridge for parents. Um, you know, often yes. paraeducators are the only school personnel um, many parents see um, on any given school day um, at pick up and drop off. Um, mm-hmm. And so that, I think that that's a really critical role. Um, that they play in our schools, it isn't always recognized. I think a lot of times we think of paraeducators as a classroom aide or as a support staff, but we don't spend a lot of time really articulating what the role is for a paraeducator. 
Um, and I think that tends to be where we get into sort of sticky situations um, because mm-hmm. then we either have paraeducators who do too much um, for a student or a classroom teacher, um, or we have paraeducators who teachers say, well, why aren't they doing this? Um, mm-hmm. And I really think, yeah. you know, having a conversation about what's the role in the classroom um, for the paraeducator, and, and some, you know, that's often very um, teacher-specific for what that teacher is looking for in terms of support, um, and it's student-specific as well. Um, and what, you know, students need depending on um, their needs for curriculum access or for, you know, support with um, health or hygiene um, or so- social skills. So I think having, you know, that conversation of roles is, is really important. And, and I'm just going to branch off and ask another question here because I'm, I'm curious. Uh, in training, does a paraeducator receive a certain uh, sort of a skill set or a set of defined roles in their job, or are they just expected to go into the classroom and do whatever it is it takes to work and, with that and child and the teacher? Coming off of that is, do they receive training? <laughs> yeah. I think oftentimes right. there is none. Right, and I think that's a the um, key component that I think is often missing for some reason. It seems to me that um, paraeducators are often the last on our list for professional development. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you know, as a classroom te- as a as a classroom teacher, um, I've often you know had new paraeducators come in every school year, um, and they either you know are hired the day before school starts. Um, or sometimes yeah. they're hired a month into the school year. And so often I find as a practicing teacher that paraeducators are being provided either um, limited training, and it's usually, you know, maybe a one-day quick, um, you know, HR, bloodborne pathogens, um, here's your three-page job, essential job duties, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you know, and, and then they're sort of, um, sort of set off into the classroom to sort of sink or swim. Um, and that's something that has always um, been bothersome to me because I think it's such a critical role that, you know, that mm-hmm. if paraeducators are um, given the skill sets they need um, and the support, um, you know, that, that has tremendous um, outcomes for our students with disabilities included in classrooms. Uh, and so that's something that is actually uh, something that, that is near and dear to my heart. And one of my um, former paraeducators um, and colleagues and now close friend a couple of years ago said to me, we should write down all the things that we do at our school um, because a lot of my friends don't, don't have um, teachers who can help them with training. Um, and yeah. so we've done that, and we, um, we kind of wrote, started writing down all of our ideas. And, um, and often I think paraeducators don't have a resource to go to, um, mm-hmm. depending on their school site. Oh, I, I think you very accurate in your description of how paraeducators are, in, you know, included in the school and incorporated into the school. You know, often it's, <laughs> and I've had that situation where it's the day before they've been hired <laughs> and then they come into your classroom. And, you know, you think about all that time as a teacher, you prep for that class before school starts. And then, you know, when you're going over the programming for certain children and reviewing um, your lessons and, modifying your lessons and accommodating for kids in your classroom and then you have another adult come in who's all of a sudden expected to do the same thing or to know exactly what's happening with that child. So it's just such a shame that that role is often neglected. And and that kind of, you know, makes me also want to ask too is how can teachers in schools provide appropriate training for paraeducators to help them do their job better and 
become more of a, you know, significant uh, sort of basically a teacher's, you know, the, the teacher in the classroom, the second teacher in the classroom for some of those kids in many instances. Well, I think it, you know, it helps. Sometimes I think we think about training as this very um, formal process, you know, that it costs a lot of money. Um, you know, we have to bring in some outside trainer who's an expert um, in training paraprofessionals. Um, and I think one of the things that, that I've noticed in my practice is um, that we have to be creative, um, that there aren't mm-hmm. a lot of, there's not a lot of funds, you know, especially in California. Um, and so um, you're trying to offer some sort of back-to-school training, um, whether it's, you know, before the day before school starts, um, sometime during the first week of school, where you can maybe offer um, comp time to staff if you're not able to um, offer additional time um, and salary-wise. Or um, I find often paraeducators, you know, if you offer snacks <laughs> and say, we're going to talk about this because it's important. Um, you know, I've, I've worked with some tremendous people, and they want information, too, to do their job well. Um, and mm-hmm. so, you know, they've been happy to come in the day before work and we order pizza and we talk about, you know, who are our new students and, you know, what do we know about them and what do we know about our current students. And you're able to go over the schedule for, you know, your staff and your students and also do kind of a refresher. Um, I like to do a refresher that I learned from one of my mentor teachers of modifications on the fly um, because yeah. often, you know, the first week of school, no matter, I think, how, how great you are as an inclusion specialist or paraeducator, um, you're working with general education teachers who are also trying to get up to speed for the school year. So you don't always have plans for that first week of school, and you have to know what to do. <laughs> um, what are we going to do for these first four days where we're going over class rules or taking all of those tests that you were talking about? Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And. And just and then from then on during the school year, you know, being creative, um, you know, whether it's taking advantage of downtimes. And I know that we don't like to talk about that as educators, that there's never a down moment. Um, but there are times, you know, in our oh, school yeah. days. Um, there are assemblies and, um, you know, films that are shown in class that, you know, are important to that class, but not necessarily mm-hmm. a time when a paraeducator needs to be there to support the student. Um, right. And if you can kind of group you know, a couple of paraeducators together and provide some coverage if you need to and just talk about how things are going. Um, I mm-hmm. think we forget that, you know, just being able to have open communication leads to more training um, mm-hmm. because then you can talk about, well, you know, I'm having a, ch- a challenge with, you know, helping a student read or, you know, I'm really struggling with um, behaviors in the classroom and you're able to sort of talk about, okay, what strategies have we used? What do we want to do? Um, and then I think finally, you know, um, utilizing current professional development time. Um, I know in California, at least, um, most of our schools have set aside times, usually on Wednesdays. I don't know why Wednesday is the day of the week, but it is, isn't where it? it's either it is <laughs> um, where you either have a late start or an early release. Yeah. Um, and yeah. teachers, yeah, all get together Here for an Monday. hour, hour and a half. Oh, Mondays. Okay. Well, it's good to know it's not always Wednesday. (laughs) (laughs) Not a universal rule. (laughs) Okay, that's good to know. (laughs) Um, But I think that, you know, I've been in situations where I've seen um, schools just send their paraeducators home. um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, that we could use that time more creatively. And oftentimes those paraeducators are working longer hours on different days of the week. You know, they're providing that direct student time um, Mm -hmm. to compensate for that hour. But, but I think we need to, you know, you know re- regard paraeducators as professionals and give them that professional development time as well. Um, that would be very good. 
You know, you mentioned mm-hmm. behavior, and that certainly is a big thing with uh, with paraprofessionals. I know, especially challenging behavior behavior that's that you would find in a student with special needs that you would not necessarily find in a typical kid. And I know, in my experience, a lot of times paraprofessionals not having particular training in in behavior analysis and behavior management will fall back on their own skills as moms. Uh, and do the things that work for them with their kids, but they're not going to work necessarily with my kid with fetal alcohol syndrome or another kid with, uh, you know, a, a emotional disturbance. So I think that's how we sometimes get into these situations that we read about in the news where an, a paraprofessional has been abusive or, um, you know, there's there's shouting in the classroom or there's inappropriate disciplinary measures being done because these people just really don't have anything else other to go with. I mean, I know as parents, we've all, it's taken us a while to figure out how to deal with our kids. And Mm -hmm. uh, so many times I've had a parent say, oh, he could do it if he wanted to, or, you know, I never put up with that for my kids. So how do we, how do we help them, number one, understand that challenging behavior is different from what they may have experienced in their own families and give them the skills they need to safely deal with that stuff. It's, you know, sometimes it is quite difficult and potentially dangerous to deal with. Um, how, what do you advise for that? Well, I think this is a really important question because I think um, not only, you know, our parent educators often lacking training in this area, but I also see as an inclusion teacher, um, you know, challenging behaviors seems to be the limiting factor um, mm-hmm. in including many students. Um, and so I think, you know, we have to train all of our staff. Um, and I think especially for paraeducators, you know, understanding that um, behavior is a function of communication. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, sometimes as parents, um, you know, we don't always think about, you know, what, what are our kids trying to communicate to us, right? We just think, oh, like, <laughs> they're driving me crazy. Um, and I think it's really easy, you know, in education to have those same feelings of like, oh, my gosh, he's driving yeah. me crazy in class. Yes. Um, and we have to take a step back, and I think we have to teach paraeducators to take that step back um, mm-hmm. and to sort of start, start thinking about what, are, what is the student trying to communicate to me? You know, what's happening in the classroom environment right now? You know, is the mm-hmm. teacher lecturing nonstop? Um, are there classmates, you know, two seats away who are doing the exact same thing um, and getting yeah. away with it? <laughs> um, you know, and I... Um, I think, and also, you know, just providing paraeducators with some common de-escalation strategies. Right. Um, I see that happen a lot when I look at um, behavior data that paraeducators take, you know, sort of at the beginning of the year. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, I look through the data, and it's, you know, a lot of talking. Um, and yeah. so I often have conversations at the beginning of the year, and this is something that I try to coach myself with often on a daily basis, mm-hmm. of stop talking. Um, you know, sometimes yeah. you can see the escalation. Um, uh-huh. you know, I, I got closer to the student. I talked to them some more about, you know, paying attention in class and keeping them, their hands to their, their self and using a quiet voice. And I just kept telling them, and they didn't do anything about it. Um, and then I got hit. And it's like, well, yes. <laughs> like, of course you did. Um, yes. And I tell care educators who aren't always excited when they come to me at the end of the day, and they said, well, this is what happened, and then, and then I got hit, and I said, well, of course you did. <laughs> like, you yeah. kept talking. Um, and, you know, no, I'm not going to discipline the student for that. Like, we're right. going right. to go back tomorrow and have a new strategy. And, mm-hmm. and I think sort of the, the part that I see sometimes that's missing um, in classrooms is that paraeducators don't have anyone to talk to about it. Um, yeah. And often yeah. they're sort of left on their own, and whether the mm-hmm. um, classroom teacher – um, you know, also doesn't have the training to to deal with it, um, or the special education teacher is is lacking training in that 
as well um, because yeah. it's really a team issue, being able to, you know, look at data as a team um, and figure out, you know, how are we going to respond to this behavior consistently? Um, I think that is a challenge as well if you're working, if there are multiple paraeducators working with a student in a school day. Um, mm -hmm. It's it's always interesting at the um, when you find out sometimes that one paraeducator has um, skittles or um, tech <laughs> and you're like, oh well, that why we have no problem with this paraeducator <laughs> with challenging behaviors because um, he's carrying <laughs> so skittles in your pocket. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, I know another you know, issue that. that sometimes comes up with paraeducators. My my son always had a one-on-one -on -one all through school, and this was something that was constantly being brought up in meetings is, is not letting the student become over-dependent on the uh, on the paraeducator. And, um, you know, some oftentimes it came down to a, a particular person just had a skill for working one-on-one -on -one and a other one maybe didn't. And so, I mean, I know working with my kids with homework, it's hard sometimes not to just take over and to lean over them. And if you don't have any training or particular ability at that, you know, it's hard to be able to motivate and focus without just taking over and doing it. Uh, I mean, I think every parent of a child with special education who's had a paraprofessional in their life has had the art project come home that was obviously the work of an adult right. and not a child. Uh, and... How do how do you advise uh, paras to to provide the assistance the child needs without uh, making the child over dependent on them or not taking things over mm -hmm. too much? It's it's a it's a difficult thing. It's you know it's difficult, especially if you don't have any particular training in it and you're just working on instinct and on what you've done with your own family. Absolutely, and I think one of the things, you know, going back to that art project, that's something that for some reason the art project or um, the woodshop projects, yeah, um, mm -hmm. you know, are always the hardest. You know, I want the treehouse to look like everybody else's. Um, yeah. And, and we, we sort of, I think for some reason when it's in a product like that, we forget that, that doesn't, inclusion doesn't mean that um, what our outcome is looks the same. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Inclusion means that we're in the classroom together, learning together. Um, yeah. And so one of the things that I talk about with paraeducators, um, and the paraeducators I know who are really skilled at being, you know, one-on-one -on -one supports or, you know, just supporting all students in general, is that they really redirect um, to natural supports all the time. And so they don't they don't regard themselves as the students, um, you know, end-all, be-all in the classroom. Mm -hmm. And, you know, when a student comes to them with a question, they'll say, well, did you ask your teacher? And mm -hmm. the student will say, well, no. Or, you know, did you ask, you know, the, the student sitting next to you? Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, they'll say no. And, you know, the more times that this happens to a student, eventually they go, oh, yes, I asked the teacher. <laughs> Um, you know, and then and then we find that they're not coming to the paraeducators as much because you're not getting that instant sort of gratification feedback of yes, this person is here to always help me um, yeah. and to give me the answer. Uh, right. And I think that's really important for students to know as well. Um, you know, starting off when when I started teaching with seventh graders, um, you know, they've had a history perhaps K through six of having a, you know a one on one paraeducator in their classroom. Um, and we've had a lot of conversations about, you know, this is your education. Um, and so what does that look like for you? It, it doesn't mean that, you know, we're always going to have someone sitting in the corner to jump up every time you raise your hand. Um, but sometimes we have to figure out how to, how to solve the problem on our own. Um, 
you know, and really supporting that student self-determination. And I think also, you know, having those conversations with the general education teacher um, that, uh, because often, you know, especially as class sizes are increasing, uh, uh-huh. general education teachers are also really relying on that paraeducator. Yeah. Um, and so, they don't you know, have if to they deal general... with a special student at all. <laughs> right. Go off in the corner and do this with him. <laughs> right. Uh, and so it's important that, you know, we have those honest conversations of that's not why, you know, that's not why Sue is here today. Um, you know, mm-hmm. she's here to, su- you know, support the student and being included, and this is what this is going to look like. Um, and and often I find that, you know, um, as, you know, new general education teachers, it takes a while for them to to get a sense of what is a paraeducator doing in my classroom. Um, yeah. But working on a campus where paraeducators went in and out on a daily basis, um, mm-hmm. you know, several general ed teachers really began to see that person as a resource for the whole classroom. Um, right. And that really, I think, shifts the role um, and really shifts the stigma for students with disabilities. Um, mm-hmm. You know, when that paraeducator is seen as a resource for all students, Mm-hmm. Um, it's my favorite thing to walk into a classroom and have a kid raise their hand and when, you know, you go over to a table and if I have a student with an IEP at that table as well, the student will often cover their eyes and say, go away. <laughs> and I'm like, but I'm here to help Sally. Like, Sally raised her hand to ask for help. And they're like, oh, you help other people too? Okay. Well, all right, I guess you can help Sally, but then walk away. Yes. <laughs> Much better. Um, yes. what, what's support can uh, families provide uh, to paraeducators? I've had situations where I was able to have a very close relationship with the para and give her information and strategize things, and I've had situations where I was told by the school, do not talk to the para, the para doesn't want to talk to you, Mm -hmm. we don't want you talking to her, Uh, you know, and occasionally they would meet me out back of the building where nobody was looking and say, we're having this problem, can you do something about it? But um, it's, it's, hard sometimes for families to know even who is in the classroom and what they might need and what information that they could use. Uh, And yet I feel so strongly that parents need to be supported. They need all the support they can get. They're doing a really hard job without a lot of appreciation, at least where I live, without a lot of money. (laughs) And so what can we do to make their lives easier? Well, I think we have to communicate. Um, And, you know, the more we communicate, Honestly, about what's going on um, in our in our kids' lives at school and at home, um, mm-hmm. I th- and and we follow through with that communication. Um, yeah. You know, I think often, um, you know, what happens is is paraeducators end up the middleman, um, and that's yeah. something that that I do try to avoid in my practice as a teacher um, is that they shouldn't be the person running interference either for the parent right. or for the teachers. Um, that they should be a valued member of the team and treated like a professional. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think, you know, families being able to share relevant information, um, you know, how did the morning go, how did, you know, last night go after school, um, if it's yeah. a student with significant health issues, you know, making sure that we know what's going on. Um, and I think I've had parents, um, you know, sort of provide, have like a, um, a binder or a PowerPoint about their student um, uh-huh. that they were able to share with this, the team as a whole. And so it was something mm-hmm. that, you know, paraeducators knew, okay, like, this is where the parent is coming from. Um, I think we often, um, we don't have conversations always about um, what the communication is like, especially that bridge between elementary to, to yeah. you know, middle school. Um, yeah. And and we, we get used to relying on, I think, I've had parents tell me before, I think I was more dependent on the paraeducator than my student was. Um, because we get really used <laughs> yeah, to having this adult kind of buddy, you know, who can <laughs> right. really help us navigate the system. Uh-huh. Um, and so I think that, 
you know, just continue to have conversations about what the roles are um, mm-hmm. for paraeducators um, and, and to make sure that, you know, that the special education teacher on site is also held accountable. Um, I think yeah. some of our really skilled paraeducators um, do a really great job as, as being mini special education teachers, um, mm-hmm. and they're certainly not compensated for that role. Um, yeah. And sometimes I think we have to, as family members, you know, continue to advocate for, for paraeducators to 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 stick within their boundaries of what their roles are yeah. um, and, and to ask more of our special education teachers and administrators um, and general education teachers and, and really act as a team. Um, yes. Great advice. Yes. Let me just say, we're getting close to the end of our time here, and I want to make sure, do you have a, any resources on the website where our listeners can learn more? We do. Um, I wrote a book um, with Renee Marquez, who is one of my former paraeducators and colleagues. It's called Paraeducate. Um, which you can find on Amazon. Um, that was really the main reason we wrote the book was to provide paraeducators a go-to resource. Often they have to rely on teachers to provide them information, and we wanted to have a place where paraeducators could go themselves. Um, we also have a website, um, www.paraeducate.com, um, and we have a blog there that we update once a week. And Uh-oh, that's the school bell. I'm going to have to cut you off because we got to say goodbye, and we have to um, – but everybody got that, uh, Earl, I hope – and can visit you there and find out about it. Thank you so much for being our guest today, Megan. I could talk to you about this for another hour, but we have about 50 (laughs) seconds. Uh, And I would like to thank our listeners for tuning into our program this morning. Join us next Friday at 9 a.m. when we will have Joyce Cooper-Khan, author of Late Lost and Unprepared, join our program to talk about ways to improve your your student's executive functioning skills. Uh, In the meantime, you can follow us on Twitter, where Nicole tweets under the name inclusive underscore class, and I am at mamatude, M-A-M-A-T-U-D-E. You can also find archives to our past shows on my blog at www.mamatude.blogspot.com. Also, our show is now available on Stitcher and iTunes as a podcast for free download. If you go onto Stitcher's Facebook page, they're having a contest for podcast awards. Please nominate us for everything that seems appropriate. And uh, that's it for this week. Goodbye, everyone, and have a great week. Goodbye. Thank you, Megan. Thank you.